Hello, I'm Howard. Welcome to the 9320 Review Podcast, the show that needs to write an article on any 17-year-old footballer playing well at the moment, but can't think of a single player. This is our mashup review as we join forces across the pond and try to force a special relationship with the main road ramble. <laughs> <laughs> Delighted to be joined by Andrew, John, and of course the main man, Asan. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing? Good. I didn't realize that uh, John and I were part of the Lend-Lease program. <laughs> <laughs> We've already got that special relationship, of course. So nice. Yeah, you uh, in a good mood today? I absolutely am. What time is it at the moment? Sorry, to cut you off. Uh, it's it's eight a.m. Um, I went for as I as I told you as we were logging on. I went for a drink and a cigar uh, for unrelated reasons, but it wasn't <laughs> a bad way to celebrate the the victory. But um, my body definitely is telling me that the cigar was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, for for any. Uh, Local people who may drink this, uh, I had some Holtz Bitter yesterday after a year off, and yeah, my body's told me what it thinks about that in no uncertain terms, so too much information there. So. Hey, <laughs> uh, age comes to us all. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, out, I'm so out of practice as well over the last year. John, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, surprise! Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm still in shock that we've made the semi-finals. It do- just doesn't feel like it was... Obviously, it was possible. It just didn't feel like we'd do it uh, just before kickoff yesterday. Mm. And Asan, how you doing? I'm great, mate. I'm in a I'm in a top mood. What I, day uh, you're having? Is this your seventh media appearance of the day? <laughs> <laughs> Spreading myself pretty thin this morning, definitely. And well, um, I think I'm on Radio Manchester later, so I can't complain. Can't, can't oh, well, look at you. I mean, I'm just, mate, I'm sticking to city media. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> underground stuff. Check you going straight to the mainstream. Nah, it's Carl Walker, the one and only city fan. That, nice. That Carl Walker. Asan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you don't want you don't want to talk about transfers today, do you? With today's nope. breaking news, we want to, we want to concentrate on the match. Yeah. What's the breaking news? That Harry Kane thing. Yeah. Erling Haaland is still City's number one target. End of conversation. Next. Now, I was just going to ask you about preference, but we could stick to the match if you'd rather do it. Yeah, let's stick to the match. Okay. Well, my first question, because I have to say I was in a weird mood yesterday. (laughs) I couldn't get anything done. It felt like it was the build-up to the title decider, and it's like it's the second leg of a quarterfinal. I was really on edge. I don't know if it's just because I'm at home all the time, but... Uh, Andrew, how did you feel going into this match? Were you nervy or just quietly confident? I mean, so I, uh, in our Slack channel, said that I predicted a 4-1 win again. I was as confident <laughs> as I was in the first leg um, because, for my money, City was not just the better team, but such a better team that as long as City went out and played their game, they should have no problems. Um and I think that bore out, I, but I do think, again, a brief period at the beginning of the match where Dortmund kind of took it to City, for some reason, City, again, looked a little unsettled, so. Yeah. That- John, John, yourself, were you nervous in the lead-up? Yeah, I kind of felt very much like you did, Howard. The, the, like the hour before or the hour and 15 minutes between the team being announced and the game starting felt like about three weeks. It was just, <laughs> I don't know why. I kept looking up and like thinking, oh, it'll be, it'll be 10 to three now or, you know, 
10 to 8 your time and it was like 205 and then 207 I'm like have I just slowed down time or something but yeah it was I just wanted to get it over with in some ways um, because the build-up had been so much kind of easy if you're in America because basically this is this is from the moment I wake up I'm thinking about it so I've got 12 hours then to like where time drags where what was the kickoff time 3 p.m where you are yeah so you got the additional kind of complication of kind of arranging your work schedule Where around you watch it and how you yeah watch it. working from home has been very uh helpful in that regard but <laughs> uh you know when we get back fully in person in the office it's it's going to get a bit more uh tricky again yeah i even tried to have a nap in the afternoon just to wow <laughs> to use time but i did venture for the first time in i don't know seven months into a beer garden uh briefly for an hour and watched it with other people, so that really helps. Cause oh, wow. Just takes you yeah, for the first time for a very, very long time. It's actually been sunny here for two weeks now, so... <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So when is the snowstorm strike? Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> in some places it's been snowing and sunny at the same time, as it was here last Tuesday, but it's slowly, <laughs> slowly getting above freezing now. But if it's dry and sunny, I'm happy. I don't care about the temperature. Any any British person will go and sit in a beer garden... Uh, I reckon until minus 40 is uh, the point they'll probably say, no, it's too cold, to be honest. So, <laughs> for any excuse this week. So, uh, Aysan, I don't even have to ask you, as Mr. Confident, you were buzzing, looking forward to it, and you were going to win. Is that fair enough? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I was going, <laughs> no, you said, yeah. Don't just dismiss me, man. Let me finish, what, finish my thought, at got least. a busy show here. I'm sure you've got a busy show schedule, but I'm still going to make a mess of that schedule. Um, so I almost asked this question on Twitter at four o'clock. And the question was, if you had a time machine, would you fast forward to 9 p.m. where I am, 8 p.m. where you were, Howard, 3 p.m. where you guys were? So kickoff, or will you fast forward to two hours after kickoff? So I'm asking you three now. If I'd have asked that question, what if if I'd have put it on Twitter yesterday, what would your answer have been? You would go direct to kickoff or direct to full time? I'll jump in very quickly. If I was watching it by myself, I'd go straight to full time. Fine. I felt as I got to watch it with other people and I got to have a few beers beforehand, then that made it that changes my answer to two hours before. I was happy to start two hours before. When that first beer goes down, basically. So. <laughs> Excellent. <clears throat> Over to you. I don't too. know. Uh, I think I think kickoff. Um, e- even though the first half was not great, uh, I yeah, I, I'd want to see it happen and and be fully in the picture rather than just see the result. Mm. Andrew. <sighs> Yeah, I think I have to agree with John there. Just kidding. I mean, off. yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because you can hate the day, but yeah. Then if you're going to fast forward for everything, then there's no point even following football. Obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, right. it is it, it is funny that we're all kind of like deeply considering the answer to this question of whether or not we want to watch a football match when we all we talk about is watching football matches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. No, but there is a. I think. No, I it's think the build up, though. It is the build. The build yeah. worse. I wasn't that nervous during the match. It's like, mm. well, what happens now? Happens. It's 
it's before that's worse for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk about that match. Uh, Asan, that lineup, or anyone can answer, of course. Pretty happy with it. No uh, left yeah. field. No. No. No one. No Laporte on the right wing. No Edison as uh, a <laughs> defensive <laughs> midfielder. It seemed a normal uh, lineup, and I think yeah, we pretty, kind of predicted uh, some of those things as well on the preview show. Mm, I mean, I, I felt that uh, Cancelo and Bernardo would miss out, but only Cancelo missed out. So, mm. and you know, I, I thought that one of um, Raz or Jesus would get in, but obviously Bernardo stayed in. So neither of those two got in. But beyond that, I was I was delighted with the team and just immediately anxious for the game to kick off because I felt like, all right, the platform is there now with the with the selection. And I, and I have confidence, I had total confidence in the selection in terms of going, they can beat this Dortmund team. That You don't need to worry here. Uh, or I, when I say don't need to worry, what I mean is that there's nothing in that selection that you immediately go, oh no, why has he done that? What's the point in that? Or there's nothing in the selection that felt like it would affect the players negatively, which I think in the past Pep maybe doesn't realise it, but I think there have been some selections where you feel as though uh, this, the team are affected by what he's done because they play well below their own ability. And it's after some type of kind of, you know, tactical Hail Mary. Yeah. Well, I've always said it, just put the strongest side out. If they mm. lose, they lose. That's it. Just don't want regrets, do you? About why did you do that? Why do that? Do the That's basics. It. The basics. Uh, Andrew, what did, was that the lineup you expected? And tactically, did you, how did it play out in the early parts of the game for you? So I, I don't know that it's necessarily the one I expected, but it it made sense to me. The only thing that I question is I am not convinced by Kyle Walker and uh, Riyad Mahrez being on the same side because I think that um, that basically leaves an entire corner of the pitch that people rarely get into. Um, although Walker started going forward and then we it started to look better. Um, but for me, I would if we're going to play Mahrez on the right, I always think we should be playing Cancelo on the right as well. Um, but I understood why Pep wanted to have both Walker and Zinchenko in defense, particularly Zinchenko, because there were multiple moments for me where Zinchenko and his ability to just kind of take a pass under pressure and get out of that tricky situation in a way that Cancelo sometimes doesn't and other players that we play in the back line don't uh, really helped City. So other than for me, again, City looking a little nervy when they're under pressure in the first 15 or 20 minutes of the match. Uh, I think Pep got the lineup perfectly right. Hmm. Colin, how did it play out before that goal for you? Just a stalemate in a way. Yeah, I was, I was happy with the lineup and um, especially as, as Andrew alluded to with Zinchenko at left back. I, I think having that natural left footer on the left hand side just gives a balance, which is a really good foundation to build on. Um, I, I think having Foden further down that left-hand side as well, and just it, it's been a while since we've had that kind of left-footed left side mm. uh, and and the option just to go down the line a lot more um, 
I think is something that we've missed in recent in recent weeks. Uh, the first, you know, including the goal, kind of the first 20, 25 minutes, um, I thought we just were not keeping the ball beyond our defense at all well. Um, and I think that was the the reason that we we kind of invited pressure um, after the first ten minutes, and yeah, it. I was I, I was kind of sitting there, just kind of yelling at the at the uh, at the screen, just keep keep the ball. And I was I was at that point, I was already thinking maybe maybe we should have started Jesus because he's so good at you know holding yeah. the ball up and and passing it back to the midfield and. Maybe he would have been good, but I, I think I, I, I'm not going to question Pep. Yeah. Hey, Sam, you were on Steve's video earlier and you said you can imagine what me and Steve were like when the goal went in. Um, <laughs> you were right. I was, yeah. I think I think my point, as always, is, yeah, in the, yeah, going to that old school negativity is like I I didn't feel there was a lot going on before the goal. I mean I saw someone on Twitter say that was coming. Well it wasn't coming at all. It was what annoyed me. It's not that we went behind. It's like, well, that's the first chance, if it's even that. And they've scored and that feels like the story. Sometimes as when we fail, that's the way it goes. But we how did you feel when that went in? Did it feel like history was repeating itself or do you not think like I the likes of I do? So, I think it, I felt it was, I felt we asked for it. And I felt like we asked for it because we spent the first five minutes of the game playing a really high press right in Dortmund's face. Yep. And then Dortmund had one break. And then from that break, we've tried to play out from the back and Zinchenko has given the ball away, played the played the pass to a Dortmund player two or three times. And that sequence of events between minute four and a half, five and minute seven or eight completely erodes whatever confidence the team have. And suddenly they just stand off Dortmund. I mean, f- for me, I, I, and I, I guess I can be a bit hard now because later on they were that good, but... Like, that was appalling. Seven minutes into the game to run back into your own half and let them build. I was was shocked. I was looking at them going, why have you stopped pressing? There's no way that you've been instructed press for the first five and then go and stand in your own half. No, your asses have fallen out the back of your shorts here. And what? Over a couple of counterattacks. And that I think that's the thing that in those opening moments, that's what really bothered me is, Zinchenko can make a mistake and give the ball away. It's okay because you recovered from it and you didn't concede a goal. So it's fine. Play your game. And there was that period where they just didn't play their game. They were so deep that they were asking Dortmund to come and play football in our half. And that's just not Man City. Um, so I was very, very disappointed in everything that happened from minute five until the Dortmund goal and then Dortmund score and they go, Oh, we actually have nothing to lose here. We have to go and play and then city go and play. And then it's a totally different game after that. Andrew, is that how it looked to you? And I just as for the goal itself, I th- was it, I know stones will get criticism. I thought it was overly harsh just for ball. They didn't quite judge 
But so I, thought, I actually that was a nothing incident to be <laughs> honest, and that's not really where blame should lie. So. So I, I criticized uh, him a little bit just because, to me, I don't think you can let Holland have even a sniff of a chance of getting on the ball because we've seen, I mean, Diash is one of the strongest defenders I have ever seen, and Holland tossed him around like he was a cupcake. Uh, so I just think you're always ask, you're exposing yourself to more danger than necessary if you give him that chance to run onto the ball. But... I think the real fault for that goal lies at the ability of Bellingham to take it's at least two, maybe three touches before he fires the shot and no one closes him down. Yeah, I agree. I, don't, I think the ball over the top, it's, it curves. It's just one of those things. You stop. Yeah, Harlan's got it on the edge of the area. It's no, it's no big deal. It's what happens after that's more relevant to me. Uh, no blame for the keeper, surely, John. No, initially it, it looked like that Bellingham had just kind of side-footed it and just kind of poked at it and uh, it had taken Edison by surprise. But then you look at it again and I think Edison kind of almost saves it, which looks bad in one way. But actually when you, when you <laughs> yeah. look at it, it's like he did well to get what he got on it from, that, I think from so. the situation that it was in. Do you think City wobbled in the minutes after that goal? Some, yeah, I, I think the the goal was kind of the middle of the wobble, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. it, after that, it was almost, in some ways, it was almost a relief to concede um, mm. and concede that early because, you know, the nightmare scenario is that happens 15 minutes from the end, not 15 minutes from kickoff. And your, you know, City are then throwing on all the forwards they have to try and get the, yeah. the goal that's going to take them through. But I think that, yeah. As, as, I see what you mean, because uh, if it had been nil-nil after an hour, you could see City playing a dangerous game there. Mm-hmm. You? Yeah, like, absolutely. You could just see this out rather than try and get that goal. So it kind of forced the issue in a way. Yeah. Uh, I know, Ace, and you said, I think, uh, with Steve, that City wobbled after that. But did you feel they did get control as the half progressed? Yeah, definitely. And, and I felt that, you know, that sort of, John's just nailed it there that like, you know, they, they get that goal. And for us, it's almost like, right, well, worst case scenario has happened now. And, you know, it's got nothing to do. And this is the, I'm going to go on about it. But for me, it's like, you all got, you all got nervous because Zinchenko gave the ball away twice in, in his own corner. Um, And then you can see the goal from nothing. And so you then realize like, okay, we just need to go and play football and do what we're good at. And from that moment on, the, the I'm not saying that we immediately 100% imposed ourselves upon the game, but from that moment onwards, it was a straight line of domination. The domination built and it built and it built and it built and Dortmund got deeper and deeper and deeper. And I've, I've, I've called them cowardly a couple of times today in their approach. And I, I, yeah. So I'd be actually, that's what I'd like to ask you three is just, am I being, I watched how deep they were after that goal. And I was like, that's pathetic and it's cowardly and you are going to, 
get what you deserve tonight. This is Mourinho-type bollocks here. You've got so much talent in that team, and all the talent is stood between the edge of your penalty area and inside your own half, the, the where the centre circle begins. Haaland was so deep that it was just like, what are you doing? This is not... You expect to hold on for for the rest of the game like this? That's a mad tactic. Andrew, uh, I fair. just... Oh, John, sorry. Uh, yeah, I kind of disagree with that in terms of just the way that I think City set out to defend Haaland. Um, you know, the, the, I think about all of the Haaland goals that I've seen on YouTube and whatever, and so many of them are from him kind of getting in behind. And... I think that's a fair tactic um, from a from a defensive perspective. I agree that the problem was that outside of the back four, there should have been a lot more pressing um, further up the pitch. And so you have a point there, Asan. But I think sitting sitting and defending deep against Haaland is a tactic that worked largely over the two legs. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So I'm not talking about City defending deep. I'm talking about Dortmund defending oh. deep. Like, so my issue is after Dortmund's score, I thought their approach to the game was massively cowardly. I felt that oh, they sorry. basically sat way too deep and gave themselves and their better players almost no opportunity to make an impact on the game. It was strange for me i see um yeah i i can completely agree with you there then um because yeah it was kind of strange you were just kind of expecting and you thought for a while that dortmund might just be holding out so that they could launch like a last 20 minutes kind of attack um and that was going to be their game plan um but then city getting the penalty when they did i think completely scuppered that but yeah, I completely agree with that. I thought you were talking about City, and I thought that's that's a that's a hot take. <laughs> nah, no, 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 no. We were. I, I loved the, the the. I think our overall tactical approach to last night was incredible. After our little wobble, the way that we suffocated Dortmund, and I think that's the 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 wider question that I have is that: Am I being harsh on Dortmund by calling them cowardly? And is that not giving City enough credit for? the manner in which they pushed Dortmund back for basically an hour of that game. For I think for an hour, Dortmund couldn't touch the football and was so deep because City's possession and pressing and intent to keep the ball was unbelievable. Andrew, I'd be interested in your view. So I, I agree with Asan to a point because... Erling Holland is, you know, despite what some people want to say about, oh, he didn't show up in the international break and, oh, he didn't score against City, which only team in the Champions League he has not scored against that he has faced, uh, which, hey, pending transfer news could be a hilarious stat one day. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, he had, I think it was like 0.03 XG last night. I mean, he was not involved. And I think a combination of that was the tactic of sitting back and hoping that there might be a chance on the counter which just didn't come because I think City defended Dortmund really well but also I think after that goal Dortmund's midfield who have some really talented players 
just weren't in a position to actually do anything because of if they did get the ball, it was so far in their own half that City's four defenders that were playing kind of like a traditional back line, which we rarely see under Pep, were able to just snuff out any chance. And it really kept them hemmed in, like Asan said. And so I can maybe understand the the tactic in a short period of time um, to absorb some pressure and hope that then you can hit City on the counter because that was probably Dortmund's best chance. But to do that for an hour when if City scores, you then need two. Yeah, that's it. it yeah, it's just that's crazy to me. Mm. I've got to jump to half time. Uh, I, I thought, I, I don't know why I do it. Uh, but I went to the Twitter timeline, which I thought was frankly embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Now, Asan, you know I'm, a, I'm a, a nervous football watcher and can be negative in a way. I didn't feel, I felt disappointed we were losing half time, but I didn't feel down at all. So you've got obviously Kevin De Bruyne's hit the bar, uh, Bernardo Silva heads it wide, obviously that Mares one cleared off the line. At half time, did you feel like, were you quite calm? Do you think we're, we're turning this around? Um, I mean, you know, my biggest fear going into the game was Dortmund getting the lead yeah. and City having to chase a goal uh, and chase the game and create and for City to create and miss chances. I felt my, my fear was that in the Champions League, where chances are few and far between, maybe it won't be like the Premier League, where in the Premier League, it's almost felt like even if this team gets to 75 minutes, they're all right. They feel like they'll score a goal. Um, And maybe in the Champions League, it's not going to unfold like that. Uh, So I was was definitely um, nervous and apprehensive going into the second half, but it wasn't really about the performance in the last 15 of the first half. It was just more about the stakes that were riding on the game and the fact that Dortmund's goal meant that they could be as negative as they were being and just how, you know, I just, I think that they were on the flip side of calling them cowardly. They were a very obdurate uh, defensive side until the penalty it was complicated and it was difficult and it's not like we carved them open and created loads of chances and just missed them. We had a lot of very sterile possession. Um, but I think that one of the things that I'm coming to terms with is that sterile possession is about knackering the opposition out. It's really about moving it right to left and left to right over and over again and making them think, you know, it's that, you see it a lot where a player makes a run, the ball doesn't go to him, but the defender has to go with him. And those those types of actions that tire the opposition out. Um, so I felt we had a lot of that. I, I think I was at my most annoyed about 25 minutes in for that reason. I was like, we'd not create anything. And almost immediately we started creating. So, uh, you know, I couldn't really say that at half time. So, uh, John... Let's look at that, the second half then. Everything changes. Uh, obviously, City never come from behind when losing at half-time. We all know that. So, never ever. Uh, except on this occasion in the quarter-final. Now, that penalty is 10 minutes into the second half. Did Obviously, it kind of comes out of nothing. It's just a cross. It wasn't a good one. If mm. Chan had just stepped out of the way, I think it would have gone to Dortmund player. Did it feel like City started that 
second half that they were going to score, did that penalty really just come out of nothing for you? Yeah, the first the first ten of the second half, it was like just more of the same after the the first goal in terms of City had the lion's share of the possession. Dortmund weren't really trying to do anything to to score a second. Um, and, you know, at halftime as well, it was like City just need to score two and that's all we've needed to do because that would make Dortmund's need need to score three more on the night and, and, and score four in that game overall. And it was like, in some ways, it's, it's that simple. Uh, and so it wasn't even really about coming back to win the game. It was just scoring two goals and we'd be pretty comfortable. Uh, and so... It still seemed to come out of nothing, and it was like a city going to, you know, mount serious attacks here. I was thinking about, okay, he's going to come off the bench, uh, and then yeah, penalty comes very much out of nothing. Um, without, you know, it wasn't like a, a period of sustained pressure, really. And uh, yeah, thanks, Emre Chan, for that. Hey, <laughs> uh, so there's no doubt that's a penalty. The debate was just tedious. No doubt. Absolutely I do. No I will doubt. say I expected it to be overturned, which is a different thing from me thinking it should have been. Uh, mm. Two two very different things. But yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, I just I had I had no doubt that it was a penalty. Uh but it didn't change my reaction. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean it's to me it was clearly a penalty because it wasn't he headed the ball and in the course of doing that his arm came up and then he hit it, it was, he stuck his arm out and then he headed his ball onto his arm, which should be a penalty. I mean, his arm was already there to be obstructive. He made that choice. Yeah. The the key point is it would hit his arm anyway. It was going to hit his arm, whether it hits his head. I mean, barely, I can't, I don't even see it hit his head on the replays. I don't know what everyone's seeing a deflection there anyway, but it doesn't actually matter as the law's written because it's only if he'd headed it and changed direction so much that if he hadn't headed it, it would have missed the arm. But if it's going to hit the arm either way, it's a penalty. Also, there's nothing I love more than seeing a man who's played for Liverpool and Juventus get totally screwed over by the, <laughs> yeah. the officiating. 100%. 100%. Just, just a shame he wasn't quite in the first leg and got away with that one. So. Mm-hmm. You know uh, what, Howard? I think I think the other thing about the penalty is just that... I think that that's my point about them being so negative and being so deep that ultimately, if you're inviting City to come into your penalty area and play balls into your penalty area over and over and over and over and over again in a game of that magnitude and you're posing almost no threat going the other way, you're asking for it. Yeah. Because we were just, you know, we were only minutes away from one of the centre-backs deciding that they were going to become the playmaker and they were going to run past Dortmund's midfield and they were going to play a killer ball. I mean, that's the thing. There was so little going the other way. All the Dortmund players ended up so far away from City's penalty area that I'm not really sure what they expected the outcome of that tactic to be in the end. John, be honest. What did you think when Riyad Mahrez picked the ball up? (laughs) I'll be honest, I didn't see it. I was out of the room at that point. Lad, you did the same thing. Uh, one of the, I, the same I was with two people. One of them left the room and couldn't watch the penalty. Uh, I, well, I, I, the, the second Chicken. it was given, I left the room. 
Um, so I didn't, I didn't see the replays. I didn't see the VAR. I was like, why is it taking so long? Um, and, and so I was like just refreshing Twitter kind of and, and slack madly just waiting for either celebration or cursing. And, uh, yeah, but it was a long, a long wait without any news, put it that way. Um, if John was refreshing, uh, slack, what he would have seen was me go, uh, what? Why? Why? All yeah, right. That didn't help. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 definitely not going to help. Yeah, because uh, my my brain just I was like, okay, well, you know, Kev's taking it. That yeah. that checks out. And then suddenly, uh, I see the screen and the announcers go, "Now Riyad Mahrez is standing over the ball," and my brain short circuited. <laughs> <laughs> Has, has he taken one since Anfield? Or no. Yes. no. Yeah, he has. I think. I think he took one against Burnley um, last season. I might be wrong. Maybe, did he maybe, score uh, it? Or? Yeah, I think he did. Um, I mean, if Rodri had stepped up, then you'd really have been panicking, wouldn't you? Again. See, I think. I think it should have been Zinchenko. Like for me, he is probably the one of the purest strikers of the ball that we have. Um, he scored in penalty shootouts for City before, and I think he's got the right mentality for it. You've got to want to take one, though, and I Mm. respect as much as I, you know, I don't tweet, message, say on podcast, no, he shouldn't be taking it. I always respect someone that steps up in that situation and says, I'm taking the penalty. It's leadership right there. It is, and I think Marmas did step up during this match, and Brilliant penalty, Asa. No doubt about it. I I only know because I watched the replay. I couldn't handle <laughs> you as well. Be, well, I couldn't handle the as soon as it went. As soon as it's so for for me, I saw that Mares was taking the penalty at exactly the same moment that I saw that it had gone to a VAR review. So I looked at those two things together mm. and I went. Yeah, nah, I'm not having this. And I left the room and then I went, nah, I'm not having this. And I left the house and I went and I just sat by the pool and smoked a cigarette and just went, I'll go back in in five minutes and what will be will be. And I came back in and it was one nil to City and Mara's was uh, wheeling away celebrating. And in my head, I thought, should do that more often in uh, in moments like that because that was a lot easier than sitting and watching, waiting for the VAR decision and then waiting for the... Uh, Waiting for Maris to take the penalty. Oh. So I just looked this up. Uh, he did score a penalty in the 5 0 against Burnley uh, during Project Restart. Um, and then he also scored a penalty during AFCON qualifications against, uh, I can't tell what country flag that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, but, I've got a book of flags here. If you just yeah. uh, WhatsApp me to the, uh, the flag, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, he it was for oh lord uh, Botswana, right? Um, but then, other than that, he had not scored a penalty since then. And apparently, before he took that one against Burnley, uh, he had not scored a penalty since the sixteen seventeen season. Wow! Um, yeah, because he, he obviously missed that penalty um, against Liverpool in that. Heat has that game. ball landed yet? Does, has anyone found it? <laughs> well, that's it. It's just, just look. I'm a- <laughs> All I ask is you put it on, so, you know, it stays in the ground and then I can't criticise you, so. But then uh, he also missed the crucial penalty while still playing for Leicester in 2018 uh, when 
again playing against City in that penalty shootout at mm. Leicester, and Bravo saved the penalty, and that was the end of the game. So I was take on a Leicester that penalty. I was on a Leicester Go. jolly in the ground that night, so I couldn't <laughs> even celebrate. I was surrounded by Leicester fans. So. Oh no! I think uh, yeah, I think Vardy did as well, didn't he, Mister? Yeah, um, but like in the context of that, you know, to to miss in a penalty shootout in a in a League Cup quarterfinal to miss at Anfield to win the game for City in a title, potential title deciding game, even that early in the season. And then to to want to take the penalty mm. in a quarterfinal of the Champions League, fair play to the guy. So he apparently spoke with the club uh, website after the match because I found this when I was searching, but he said, I wanted to take the next one. That next one is today, so I took it. Don't know who took the last one. I don't remember. When the penalty arrives, I knew it was me. Everyone knew I was going to take it. I took the responsibility, and it's good for the team. The only question I have about that is then why was Kev standing over it unless that was a tactic to confuse the keeper, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. In the lead-up to... Because they obviously take penalties very differently. Um, I mean, I thought Ilkay Gundogan might have been. He's scored one, didn't he? Yeah, he, North, to me, North he's Macedonia should be, recently, so. Yeah, he should be our penalty taker because I have this theory that Germans are the best penalty takers yeah. because they don't have emotions. So, <laughs> Well, for the same reason, Edison should take it. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I, I keep forgetting that he's, that he's definitely an option. But I was... There's something about left footers as well, though, on penalties that I think gives it gives you an edge. Um, just not, just be, from a keeper perspective. If I perspective, was taking it, it wouldn't be now. So. I don't know. As a, as a goalkeeper, like <laughs> facing a left footer, it just it, it just messes with your head a little bit because um, the angles are different. So uh, yeah, I I was I, I'm happy for him to be our penalty taker if he wants to be. As I say, if you're that. Intent on taking it and you're confident that's half the job of taking a penalty, of being successful. So I won't say I'm overjoyed with it, but on this occasion, he stepped up and he did it. So, uh, Andrew, I asked you just 20 minutes then of it being one all, and I'm more relaxed because I do feel we're restricting Dortmund completely. Perhaps the odd set piece, the odd header could always go in, they could always score, a moment can happen. But I'm a bit more relaxed because I know they score that only gets them even now. It's not We're not one goal from going out. How did you feel that 20 minutes went in between the goals? Similarly, I mean, I, I wanted another goal just because... Oh, yes. <laughs> I di- yeah, I didn't, I didn't fully trust that they wouldn't necessarily score because um, Marco Royce and Erling Haaland uh, are incredible footballers that I've loved watching um, play for Dortmund over the years. And they can score goals out of nowhere. So I, I wanted another goal for city, but at that point I kind of felt like the tie was in our hands, the way city was playing. We were the team more likely to score the next goal. Um, so I, I was fairly confident. Mm. Right. Put your hands up. Who wants to talk about Phil for five minutes? <laughs> Phil Walter Foden. Just I can't see. Five. No point put your hands up. I can't see you. <laughs> I'm from Stockport, so I'm doing it. Hey, son, just tell us about what you said earlier on Steve's show. I think it's uh, very fitting in a way. What did I say earlier on Steve's show? I said a lot of things. I oh, don't matter. Just free fall then. <laughs> just go for it. No, give me a clue. Come on, I want to. I want to be. I want to. No, be you were just you were just waxing lyrical about him. So I mean, just 
don't, don't worry about what was earlier. Just uh, fine. Well, about how important it is, really. You know how. Well, I just think that I said a year ago on these very podcasts that when people were screaming and saying Foden should be playing more often, I said Pep's problem is that when he puts Foden into the team, one of the senior players will almost permanently lose their place in the team. Because Foden, even a year ago, 18 months ago, was showing that in and around the penalty area, he's a goals and assists machine. Um, and I think that's proven to be correct because Sterling and Jesus now know that probably both, if not one, will always be on the bench because Foden has elevated himself to the position that he's elevated himself to. Mm. Um, look, I think his performance, um, performances across the two legs showed a level of bollocks and maturity that almost nobody else showed. I mean, in the end, it wasn't Kevin De Bruyne who scored the crucial goals. It was Phil Foden. It wasn't Gundo. It was Phil Foden. It wasn't Bernardo. It was Phil Foden. It wasn't Mares. It was Phil Foden. And I think that that's, that speaks to a guy who is not a young player because we we want to frame Phil as a young player. No, that speaks to a guy who is arguably the best footballer in the team and at the club. Um, and I, when I tweeted like a week ago, you know, people talk about Mbappe and Haaland. It should be Mbappe, Haaland, Foden. I was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you know. I was a little bit giddy off the fact that he scored that goal, having missed so many chances in that first leg. But then to go and do what he did last night, it's like, oh yeah, I can take my tongue out of my cheek now. I'm deadly serious. There's Haaland and Mbappe and Foden, and then there's a gap and there's everybody else. I just, I'm, I'm in awe of everything about that kid. His, his technical ability, his game intelligence, his physical athleticism. Uh, I mean, is there anything he hasn't got? He's got the highest ceiling of any footballer in my lifetime that has played for Manchester City. I'm not saying that he's the best ever now, but he's got the highest ceiling of all of them. And I include Kev, Yaya, David Silva, the lot. He's got the highest ceiling. And not only does he have the highest ceiling, because I would agree with you, the meaning that his success means to him in terms of what it means for the club, I think is something that you cannot match. Yes. As much as, as much as we want to, like, I, I don't particularly love Steven Gerrard for his time at Liverpool. But one thing that you can say about the guy is that his heart beat for that club and that city in a way that Phil's does now too for Manchester city. And I think that is something that cannot be replicated. It cannot be bought. I don't even think every player who comes through an Academy has that, but you can see how much succeeding on this stage means for Phil. Hmm. And John, that could be a weight on a player's shoulder, surely. Yeah. It can, when it means it, that yeah, much to you be. to represent yeah. the club. Absolutely, and you know that, that's what surprised me more than anything. The way you, you wouldn't know, there's that, a yeah, weight on that, his shoulders. I, I think that is his catalyzing quality for me. Is his just absolute fearlessness 
And when we talk about world-class talents, it, it is complete confidence in your own ability to excel at, on, on the biggest stage. Like he just does not doubt himself. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to get past this player. Yeah, I'm going to score. Yeah, I'm going to miss three chances at the Etihad last week, but I'm still going to score the winner in the last minute. And not it's, smile it's, afterwards. And, not, and just walk off down, like, yeah. like I've just, you know, put one past a four-year-old in the park. <laughs> it's that, that to me is the most astonishing aspect of his character that he is so emotionally invested in this club and yet so confident in his ability to take the club to places they haven't been before. And those two things together, uh, along with what Asan said about his ceiling, it's just, we're so lucky to have him in our, in our team. Um, And yeah, I mean, I heard, I heard about Phil like twice in 2013. One was my, my best mate was uh, refereeing under 15s Premier League at that point uh, and he refereed this tournament where he said all the other refs were talking about this kid that City had that was already worth like 15 million or something like that uh, and he thought you know what's all the fuss about and he refed him for one game and he said I've never seen anything like it in my life uh, and he was right um, and but and I don't think he could have possibly known how right he was because what we're seeing is just insane yeah, Asan, go. I want to say, yeah, I was just going to say that I, I think that I, I said this is what I said on Steve's show as well, and I think it's really important. I think that in the Champions League is a tournament that's won and lost in moments because mm-hmm. that's just the nature of of the the competition, and I think that stars therefore have been born on the Champions League. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. Basically, where you from top player to Ballon d'Or winner, that the Champions League is the through which people judge the real idea of world classness. And Pep said something on his side a few years back about the Champions League and how that basically what he said was the Champions League is the biggest stage and the best players they deliver on the biggest stage. And that was always, for me, a challenge to his own squad, to Kevin De Bruyne, to all of the big players that we have, to say, I can only do so much. These games are won and lost in moments. So I challenge you, who has got the magic in their boots in the moment to win the game? Foden is proving that he not only has the magic in his boots, but he's got a talismanic nature to how and when he's stepping up. And I think that that's something... I mean, I think about Kev's goal against PSG, and I think big goal, like heavy goal, almost talismanic goal. But we've not had enough of those in the Champions League. And in the knockout stages, we've Mm. had almost none. And we've just had two in a week for me because the first goal is so important. 
And the, the importance of the first goal can only be in, eclipsed by the importance of the second goal for me, because I think the last five minutes of that game, the last 10 minutes of that game are totally different. If just a goal is enough for Dortmund, I think the, the potential was there in a moment for it to shift again. And Phil's just gone bang. So, you know, we have something, in my opinion, we've never had before. Couldn't agree more. That goal celebration combo, iconic. Iconic. Go and have a look at, after this podcast, go and have a look at the new header for my, uh, for my Twitter page. <laughs> it's about as iconic as it gets. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll let, the, I'll let the boys talk. I've just talked for five minutes. Yeah, either you two want to add anything, I think Aysan's. I, I think Aysan is what there, yeah. yeah. He's, he's waxed eloquently. Yeah, I just... I don't know, it's, it dawned on me. Yeah, I'm not going to say much either, because you've, you've nailed it, Aysan, so... I'm not embarrassing myself. I just... But he'll, he'll always... He just He's continuing to surprise me, in a way. Mm. That's all I can say. Even now, even now that I know he's world-class, he, he can still surprise me. He can still do something like, wow, he's done it again. And I like Richard Jolly's air uh, fact. Uh, the Stockport Iniesta now has the same number of Champions League quarterfinal goals as the other Iniesta, the Spanish, <laughs> <laughs> which is two, basically. So, And yeah, like you say, two winners in the quarterfinal in a week. So, astonishing. Uh, that ends the game. Still managed to annoy myself that Raheem Sterling somehow can't get a shot in uh, when pretty much through on goal and tries to cut in. Just and to be honest, I think Foden could have had a, a, a shot at goal as well. Uh, we could have really, yeah, you know, nailed the advantage, but obviously needing three goals, that game was over. Now, just stepping back, then uh, Andrew, start with you. Just that performance. Where's it rank for you? The maturity of it and the performance over that ninety minutes when you step back. How good was it for you? The fact that City suffered. A you know not just a minor setback, but a match-altering and season-altering setback, and then still turned the screws, changed the performance, found it within themselves to go on, come from behind, win on the road against a team that has as much, if not more, expectation for Champions League success than City. Um, historically and to to do it the way that they did as much as you, you know uh you know, peter schmeichel on the u.s uh broadcast after the match said that it wasn't a good performance by city and that city were lucky to get through which i think is laughable and just his red tinted glasses on but city should be proud of that performance and city fans should look at that performance and feel confident that no matter what team is across them on the pitch the rest of the season, City should view themselves as the favorites and City should expect to take it to the other side and expect success. 100%. John, do you agree with that? Do you, has this performance changed how you view City in the competition at all? Or were you were you uh, confident beforehand uh, anyway? I think... I don't know. It, it it seemed to me. I mean, it's a very important performance in terms of our 
Champions League history and getting into a semi just for the second time in our history. Excuse me. But the, the, the other thing is like it, to me, it would have been typical city to, to, to rest players on Saturday against Leeds and then go out in the Champions League with the fresh players that were rested against, you know, uh, and, and that being very typical city. And so that not happening was, was a big thing in and of itself. Um, but it's, yeah, it, I think I'm still very much processing everything that's going on. You know, in the next two weeks, we have an FA Cup semi-final, uh, a game that um, could potentially just basically sew up the Premier League for us, a uh, League Cup final, and then a Champions League semi-final. Yeah. In, in the space of four, you know, 13 days. And that is just unthinkable for someone, you know, for someone who grew up watching City in the 90s and the, the 2000s. Just this ridiculous amount of high pressure games. Um, and so I think winning, winning this one and getting through to the semifinals is incredibly important for the, the games in between the quarter and and the semi, um, for me, and so the 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 I don't I don't like momentum in terms of I don't think it's necessarily a thing, and I think we proved that yesterday that you, you know losing at home mm. to Leeds isn't going to affect the way that the the team is is playing in games that matter, but I think this getting over this quarterfinal curse is potentially a real catalyst for the rest of the season. Mm. Not going to be good for my health the next month. <laughs> I think <laughs> that was a you know, nervous disposition. Yeah, I think there's a. Um, I was quite. I don't. I don't think I've said this anywhere, but I was quite disappointed at. I think Sterling said it and Gundogan said it in the build-up to the second leg, if not the first leg, that they both said that a little bit getting past the quarterfinals was in their heads. And that if they could get through it, everything would be fine. And I was really disappointed with them acknowledging the fact that they were mentally weak because that's more or less what saying that out loud was saying. You see what I'm driving at? That like, I mean, even if you privately believe that like you've got some hang up about the quarterfinals because you've lost games in, in a weird manner. Don't, like, I don't know, for me... Yeah, I could like, understand the final one, stuff. but the quarterfinal just seems a bit weird. I mean, yeah, totally. could have been just, playing Dortmund in the last 16. It's the same job. It's the totally, same difficulty. It's, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, so it's, it's a strange thing to get caught up on. And what happens in the past for footballers, that's the key. You don't, you do. You can't let that uh, affect you, to be honest, so... Hey, uh, so I'm going to stay with you. Uh, I'll go around all three of you, but are the players that I've not mentioned, that have not had much discussion yet on this uh, podcast that you'd like to pick out that really stood up in what was generally just a good team performance? Um, it's a lad from Stockport called Phil Foden. Yeah, he <laughs> I don't think we've talked about it enough. I think that I need to... Uh, I think I need to. Ta- I think I need to talk to you and to the uh, audience about just how unbelievable he was. No, I mean, I think <coughs> for me, last night was about the collective rather than about individuals. But I think that if you want to talk about one or two or three individuals, I'm going to pick Walker, Stones, and Diaz because I think that those three are the 
unsung heroes of last night because as for as negative as Haaland or Haaland for as negative as Dortmund were, they didn't get a sniff really, did they? Really, they did not get a sniff and the domination was fully complete. And actually, I'm going to throw Zinchenko in there as well. Zinchenko being thrown into such a massive game, biggest game of his City career, certainly the biggest game he's played. I thought it was excellent. Hmm. Andrew, is it a team collective that basically at times I forgot Haaland was playing in this match? I mean, that's a bit of an yeah. exaggeration because you can't miss the guy, can you? <laughs> even if I mean, not. he's a six foot four Viking <laughs> god, so it's it is rather miss. hard to miss. Even if he's not uh, very active in the game, he's very hard to miss, yeah. But was it a team collective rather than. I mean, I agree. I thought, yeah, Diaz, Stones, brilliant. But a I, team collective that really snuffed him out of the game. And for the vast majority of both ties, to be honest. I, I think that that is something you can say about City as compared to the remaining teams in this competition and the teams that stand between city and trophies in all remaining competitions is that city is truly a collective and the celebration of Phil's goal, that togetherness, you know, that's the thing that during the 18, 19 season to me was the reason city beat Liverpool was because everyone bought in and everyone's success Mm. was the team's success and it's a beautiful thing to watch as a fan, but I also think it's the type of thing that's necessary when pretty much every match from now until the end of the season is a must win. Uh, that's going to be key. And the fact that it seems like everyone has bought in and there aren't individuals and there aren't people who are out there for their own glory, but it's for the greater team. That's why I'm confident that City can go on and do the thing that none of us want to talk about. Mm. Yeah, the the thing that can't be named. <laughs> Silence. Yeah. Win the Community <laughs> Shield. You're, yeah, yeah, win the Community Shield. You take one game at a time. and Always take one game at a time. Just look at it. Uh, John, I think I do have to single out a player. Kevin De Bruyne as well. Uh, was this his best match since he came back from his injury? Rusty at first. We're, we're seeing a real... Well, we've already seen him, but let's be honest. We've seen prime Kevin De Bruyne during this match. Yeah, I think I think Sam Lee tweeted just before the Foden goal. De Bruyne almost did his thing where he grabs the game by the scruff of the neck and just wins it himself. He, you know, beat a few players and forced a really decent save from the keeper. I think Sam Lee tweeted uh, that was the Ballon d'Or right there. Uh, in terms of had he scored that goal, that would have been iconic. Um, but, yeah, but if he had, we'd have been deprived Phil Foden's iconic goal because it exactly. came from the corner. So Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what's great about that is that we're not just relying on one talisman. You know, I, I often compare Phil Foden to Wright Phillips in terms of the affection that the fans have for him. Um, it, 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 that's the closest that I can compare it to. Um, but right, Phillips was, you know, everything was on him. Um, you know, every, every time we played anyone of note, they would just systematically foul right Phillips and that would be City pretty much out of the game. Um, we have so many match winners. We have Foden, we have De Bruyne, we have Mares, uh, Gundogan, you know, you could, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but to me, the man of the match was Zinchenko, um, just because 
as you know, as Aysan said, being thrown into such a big game like that. Um, the calmness that he had, he had a rocky start, um, but some of the touches, especially in the second half, just to bypass the press of Dortmund um, were, were fantastic. And his, I was mentioning this last night on uh, Noisy Neighbours, if Stones hadn't had the season that he's had in terms of coming back, we'd be talking about Zinchenko in the same way because at the end of last season during Project Restart, there was. I, mean, I was one of the voices that was saying, you know, Zinchenko can't can't hack it at left back for City, but now he's he's possibly first choice left back. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, I think it was a big game that he got picked. Because whereas I agree with you, he's been brilliant. With Cancelo coming at left back, I don't know what goes on in Pep's head. Yeah, no one knows what goes on in Pep's head sometimes, because uh, it's just whirring constantly. And I wasn't sure he trusted him to put him in a Champions League match. You so know for what him, I think? T- for him to pick him and him to put in that performance, I think he's you know he's just taking one another step forward now. Um, I think that actually Zinchenko was really unlucky in that I don't think he did anything wrong to get taken out of the team. I just no. think that Cancelo was playing so well and Pep loves Kyle. So it was almost like from Pep's point of view that he was like, well, Cancelo can play on the left, so it's cool. I'll give Kyle a game and Cancelo will then move to to left back. And I think because he's done that in a Champions League game and it worked really well, I think he's kind of just, he's automatically gone, right, I trust these guys now. That's going to be my, my best 11 in a way. But I think that was harsh on Zinchenko in the sense that he'd not put a foot wrong, really. I mean, if you look at the games that he has come in for, I've mentioned it a few times, but I think that Chelsea performance is, it's every bit as impressive as last night in terms of the bravery, the first touch, the, the passing, the, you know, just basically being a guy who can control the football and defend by controlling the football. Because I think that's the, the that's what I really like about Zinchenko in that position, is that he might not be the best defender, but he'll just play his way out, putting aside the two passes or three passes that go astray in the first five or ten minutes when he's finding his range. Like, he can do that. He can find those passes, and he can... That's He's a playmaker from left-back, and that's just next level. Hmm. And as soon as Cancelo put in a couple of sloppy performances, he's... It's opportunities like that present themselves, and you have to take them. He's taken, yeah, uh, which I didn't. I never doubted. Yeah, you can you can put him in, see him on the team sheet in a big Champions League game, and you know not flinch. Which obviously, well, I mean, and under the radar, you know, he's the captain of Ukraine. Exactly. Like, it's it's like this is the depth of squad that City have, and it it wasn't like he was like a a 50 million pound signing he was like an astute kind of low low cost buy by city standards and actually if you, we forget that he was a more or less a cfg signing that he mm-hmm. was the equivalent of a lot of these guys who never kick a football for man city he went on loans psv didn't he um, you look at how he talks i think he's very driven because of that reason in yeah that he is lucky in a way not because he's not good at football, but plenty of great footballers have probably gone through the system and never get near the first team. 
And I think he understood the day he stepped foot in the academy, he was lucky that he the system didn't spit him out basically and yeah. end up at, in Spain, you know, or Girona or whatever. Because, you know, there will be players that fall through the net that the sliding doors moments could have become huge successes at City, but they just don't because we have so many players going through the system. And I think he appreciates the opportunity he's had and he's very, very driven. He seems like a bit of, of a, a Zabaleta figure in some ways. He seems to really like living in Manchester. Yes. And so, yeah, he just feels like that kind of, he's, he's growing into this fan favourite. He gives his all. Um, you know, he's not necessarily equipped with all of the things that you would typically think would make a successful top class fullback, um, like Zabaleta. But he's, you know, the effort and the energy that he gives and the quality that he is working on, it just makes you root for him. Hmm. Uh, finally, Andrew, these two legs, are they a triumph for Pep? I think it's a triumph for the club. I think Pep put the players in a position to succeed and then they did it on the biggest stage. So I, I think it's hard to point individually but um as a whole i i can't remember who i was listening to um i think it was someone on 9320 it may have been asan talking about it but that um you know city didn't succeed like this under previous managers so the fact that sure city has spent a lot of money but the success is not just because city have a lot of great players it's because pep guardiola is the greatest manager that has ever managed the sport um so i I think, yes, you have to give him credit for it. But at the same time, I think it's a team result. Yeah. Well, time has defeated us. So I've got one very final brief question. But based on me, you kind of on the Joe show, which is maybe out already as you listen to this, may not be. <laughs> Who knows when they come out? We did kind of touch on this. So uh, brief as a final question. Mm. The caveat, of course, is at this stage of semifinals, it doesn't really matter. But are you kind of glad? Did you prefer PSG over Bayern Munich to get yes. in the semi-final? Yeah, I just I don't think. Firstly, I think that uh, that kind of hail mary performance that Paris put in, uh, I think in both legs. I know that you said that you felt second leg that Paris probably des- deserved to win the game on the night. I don't fully agree with that. I think that across the two legs. Uh, Bayern mauled Paris Saint-Germain and their lack of killer instinct inside the penalty area was every bit as bad as City at their absolute profligate worst (laughs) at any point in the last 18 months. I think, what was the stat that Joe pulled out? Like they hit the target 20 odd times. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The goalkeeper was man of the match. It was a madness. So my feeling is that Paris will have to have done some mad voodoo to be that lucky again. I think that they will have to perform better across the two legs if they want to get past City. Um, and I think also from City's point of view, as much as I looked at both of those teams and felt that they both had weaknesses that we could get at, I'd still rather face Paris because I think the thing with Bayern is that they have a lot of what was it that Miguel Delaney wrote in his piece yesterday about Dortmund that they have fast 
players who can hurt Man City. Well, Bayern Munich have fast players that can hurt Man City and so do Paris, but Bayern have more of them in my opinion. So and more coming back from injury, eh? possibly for the if they'd made the semi-finals. So. Exactly. So I'm very, very comfortable with Paris Saint-Germain being uh being the tie, even though it means that I'm gonna have to knock my adopted hometown out of the Champions League. Hey son, I, I'm just curious because nobody else on the main road ramble side was as confident as I was. Um, but 538 has uh, the odds that City makes the final. Oh, please, please don't do this. At, no, eighty-one percent. No. Are you that confident? What? Who? Who's giving those odds out? 538. The it's the U.S. like stats. They do uh, stats for literally every sport. The presidential elections everything so they have the odds that city makes the finals at 81 percent to psg at 19 and they have the odds that city wins Don't the final stop it stop at it 54 percent. stop talking someone mute him <laughs> howard it's just, it's just how would you write off a team with neymar mbappe Verratti, marquinhos di maria the the fullback the right back florenzi who i think is ace like no, I mean that's a madness. Like the, it's the game will be uh, every bit as competitive as the Dortmund games were, and they were bloody competitive. Do you know how they collate these things? Or uh, it's based on uh, SPI, which is uh, Soccer Power Index, which is essentially uh, how good your offense is versus how good your defense is. Um, mm. And so City is the best team in the world with a 93.7, and PSG is 82.8. It's like one of these supercomputer stories that appear in the sun every now and then about where they predict how the league will end up. Mm. I have more faith just, in Paul they the They basically Octopus. just go off form. Well, basically, they just say the table will stay exactly the same as it is. So, Yeah, yeah it's, sli- it's slightly better than just a supercomputer because it's essentially just rating how good teams are and then factoring in a lot of other things. But yeah. I, I don't think it's 81%, but I'm highly confident that we will beat PSG. You can't get better than a supercomputer, Andrew. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the height of brilliance. Right, time time has defeated us. So uh, really enjoyable show. Uh, thank you across the pond. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on today. Legends. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, John, for coming on. Absolutely, my pleasure. Guys, nice. do you want to plug your podcast very, very, yeah, very, very, very yeah. loudly, very, very clearly, and, yeah. all, the all <laughs> that business, please? Uh, if you enjoyed listening to John and I and want to hear more from us or from our co-hosts over at Main Road Ramble, you can find us at Main Road Ramble on Twitter and Instagram. You can search Main Road Ramble wherever you get your podcast. And occasionally we write articles and produce other content at MainRoadRamble.com and on YouTube, Main Road Ramble. What do your personal Twitter handles or yeah to private about that no uh you can follow me at andrew detmer although i apologize that you will also get a lot of local indianapolis politics takes and just u.s politics takes in general i can vouch for that yeah uh, (laughs) you can follow me at john with no h uh ashley 87 uh and yeah you can back me up because i was uh having an argument with someone this morning about how it doesn't really matter where you live uh that doesn't determine how good a fan you are and about Five or six people have come after me and said, no, it absolutely matters where you live in terms of how big a fan that makes you. Is this on Twitter? Yeah. I'm going to check that out right now. (laughs) Sorry. 
Well, you just gave me five people to block, John. So yeah, well, it's a good way, isn't it? It's a good way of uh, trimming your Twitter profile, basically. When yeah, absolutely. You, when so you the get first people one that replied the like that, it's uh, it can yeah. have its uses, even if it is irritating. So, yeah. and if you as list any listener, if Pep's astonishing tactics and tweaks do confuse you a lot of the time, and they certainly do for me. You must follow Main Road Ramble uh, and Andrew and John and all the guys there who do excellent analysis after a lot of the games. So, uh, really appreciate you both coming on. And Asan, I see you've got other media duties to get to now. Now so. I'm done for the day. I want <laughs> Amazing. Go and sit by the pool again. So, thanks for coming on as well. Pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, hope you enjoyed that as well almost as much you could possibly have enjoyed it as much as the match itself City are through to a semi-final of the Champions League uh, and yet yeah, between us and PSG we're going to stick the knife in and kill off the romance of 150 years of the sport in one fell swoop cannot wait so uh, take care everyone stay safe and up the petrodollar levitating state funded mercenary blues Whee! come on <laughs>